This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. This week's guest is Christopher Sanson, product manager at Airbnb, focused on developer productivity and tooling. A few weeks ago, I watched a live talk by Christopher about his journey of standing up door metrics at Airbnb and thought it'd be a valuable story to tell on this show. We start off our discussion by getting an overview of Airbnb's developer productivity team and how metrics are used by teams both inside and outside of this org. Then we dive into their journey of measurement, focusing on their implementation of Dora metrics and the challenges they encountered along the way. If you're interested in Dora metrics or a real world example of how to pull together insights and developer productivity, I think you'll find this episode really valuable. For more about how top companies like Google and LinkedIn measure productivity, be sure to check out our guide at getdx.com slash devprod. Again, that's getdx.com slash devprod. Thanks again to Christopher for his time and sharing about his journey at Airbnb. Now let's jump into the show. Christopher, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really excited to dive in. Great. Yeah, thanks, Avi. Happy to be here. So I want to start with the overview of developer productivity at Airbnb specifically the developer productivity organization, maybe start by sharing with listeners how the DevProd organization is structured, what it's made up of, and what your mission is. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So DevProd at Airbnb is part of the larger developer platform team. So we have a developer platform team dedicated to helping our developers be as productive as they can, ship value to our users, enjoy their work, and feel empowered to do their best work. And so within developer platform, we have teams focused on developer tooling, CICD, web platform, service platform, core services, and uh, developer productivity is part of the scope of that, that team. And how exactly does developer productivity then fit into that broader organization? I know you specifically, for example, are focused on insights. That's part of what you do. So how does developer productivity fit within the broader org? Yeah, it's part of just the larger charter, right? Is that sort of in order to understand what tools to build, the impact that we're having, how developers are are being empowered at Airbnb, developer metrics kind of plays a key part of that. So we use it at multiple levels. And then we look at it kind of holistically, right? So their developer metrics is one aspect, but we look at the whole picture. So we complement that with survey data, customer interviews, customer feedback, and sort of try to get a, a sense of multiple places around the developer experience at Airbnb. Who do you consider to be your customer? And this answer I've seen depends depending on different companies I've spoken to. But when you talk about these interviews, the insights, the metrics, is this strictly for the platform teams within Airbnb? Or is there a broader group of leaders that are wanting these types of insights? That's a good question. So it's all the above. So we have multiple stakeholders want to see these metrics in, in different packaged in different ways. So As a developer platform team, of course, we use them ourselves in order to help guide our roadmap. The executive team wants the big picture around how how we're doing as an organization at a high level, like long-term trends, changes year over year, things like that. And then the product teams themselves are also consumers. So we work directly, like the larger product teams also have their own little small platform teams as well that we work closely with. And then leaders at the product team level also want to get insights on their specific team, where they can improve how they compare against other teams within the org, things like that. In terms of your day-to-day work, then, how do you juggle those competing customers or or stakeholders? How how do you sort of prioritize, communicate, collaborate with these different stakeholders? 
That's sort of the, the job. I mean, that's sort of, we do that with everything we do on developer platform, from feature development to developer insights. We collect data at multiple levels. So, you know, we'll have a broad-based developer survey. We have door metrics and other sort of broad quantitative indicators as well. And then what we tend to also do is we try to be able to segment that data either by product team or developer role like backend or web. So we both kind of have the big picture data as well as the ability to slice it into sort of more narrow scopes for different audiences. And then it just becomes a question of kind of reporting it out. So we'll have dashboards that are dedicated more towards the big picture executive level. We have more team-facing dashboards that go into a bit more depth and look at more of the key drivers. So essentially, we just kind of collect the data in a way that is packageable in different ways for different audiences. That makes sense. Well, last year, I had a guest on the show, Willie Yao, who was an early employee at Airbnb. Actually, I be, believe became one of the, the first DevX leaders at Airbnb. So, so I'm curious to ask about the evolution of developer productivity, developer experience as a theme, as a concern at Airbnb, generally speaking. So I, I want to ask about that. Who is thinking about and talking about developer productivity, DevX at Airbnb? Is it primarily your organization or is this something your CTO, C-suite is constantly talking about? Where are the discussions happening? Yeah, I, I mean, it's top of mind for everybody. Yeah, so absolutely our, our leadership cares and talks about developer productivity, empowering developers to be productive. I think there's just a larger general trend and acceptance across the industry that this is really critical and impactful to the business success. And so, you know, I think Dora started this maybe 10 years ago, but it's sort of become accepted practice at this point that like, no, actually having productive developers leads to desirable business outcomes. So yeah, no, it's really kind of top to bottom. Everybody kind of cares and, and invests mental energy and resources into improving it. Well, it's funny you, you mentioned that the principle or concept that better software delivery leads to better business outcomes is widely accepted. I hear from leaders all the time who are asking for advice on how do we get leadership at our company to understand that. So I'm curious at Airbnb, is that just implicitly accepted? Or is that a principle that comes from executive leadership? Or is there real data that's discussed at Airbnb that sort of validates that proposition? Yeah, I think it's just part of the culture, which comes from the bottom and the top and is built up over years. So Airbnb is, we're a hospitality company, there's principles inside like be a host. And so there's sort of it tends to attract folks who want to help others succeed, I guess, and be successful. And so that applies also to developer tooling as well. There's just sort of a natural sensibility around that. The hard part comes down to quantifying the impact, right? I think that is still a challenge. Like everyone sort of knows that developer party leads to business outcomes, but there's still a large challenge, I think, for everyone around sort of measuring the impact of it. You know, what's the ROI of this project on the business value or how many more features can we ship with this productivity gain? That's where I think it gets really challenging to getting down to specific numbers. And of course, you're on this journey of trying to answer some of those types of questions. And today we'll get into the nitty gritty journey of the road to implementing door metrics at Airbnb. Before we dive into that story, I want to ask you, and you've already touched on this a little bit, but at a high level, what's your or Airbnb's point of view on like how to measure developer productivity or what types of insights you should get on developer productivity to really get a firm understanding? Yeah. So again, as we sort of talked about before, like we definitely look at developer product metrics as one part of a larger story. 
I don't think you can look at them in isolation and just say like, oh, let's just keep improving this number 10% year over year and that'll be enough. So what we do is we use the quantitative data to then complement things like survey data, customer feedback, larger like business objectives across the company, both internally and externally, and try to get kind of a more like 360 view of things and then use them to reinforce. You know, if we're hearing about something for customers, does the data back it up? It helps us quantify like the severity of the issue, how widespread it is. And so I think that is sort of one aspect of it. Well, obviously talk about how you get quant metrics such as Dora metrics. And at the conference we were just at, you all shared a little bit about how you do surveys as well. But I want to ask about the other stuff. And you talked about customer research, customer interviews. How is that driven within your team? Do you have UX researchers whose sole job it is to look at this stuff, or is it happening more on an ad hoc basis? Yeah, it's more an ad hoc basis. So we don't we don't have a team of dedicated UX researchers. That largely is done by either PMs, but also just the engineering team. Again, I think it's a really tight-knit company, but a lot of the engineers who are on the developer platform team used to be on product teams and know each other and move back and forth. And so and they're there, you know, on Slack, on call, meeting with teams. So there's like a close connection between, you know, the engineers and product engineers. So it kind of comes from all directions. I think in terms of like larger scale efforts, like developer surveys and developer insights, that's usually a combination of some kind of working group across like product management and engineering. Shifting into the main topic we wanted to talk about today, which is uh, what you presented at DPE Summit, your journey with Dora Metrics, that I really am excited to bring the listeners. I want to start by going before the story you told at DPE Summit. I want to ask about what you guys were doing before Dora Metrics. So I want to ask, like, what metrics, if any, has Airbnb, Developer Productivity Org, or other organizations tried in the past? Like, what's kind of the legacy approaches that you all have tried? Yeah, so this predates me a little bit, but Dora didn't invent the concept of developer metrics, right? It wasn't like, oh, wait, we should actually measure this stuff. They were measuring many aspects of the developer experience for many years, right? I think what changed or what where the evolution was was around there are a few takeaways. And actually it reminds me of the story you told about when you were at GitHub and you and you started looking at developer metrics and you went around and you interviewed stakeholders and got everyone's kind of favorite metric and tried to combine them all together. And it was I think past efforts looked a lot like that. It was very similar. And I think what happened was, you know, you tend to get lots of different opinions. And so it often became like who was the most influential person kind of in the room would would sort of that metric would then be elevated up. But what I think what everybody has sort of found, what we found as well is like, it's not as straightforward as that. Like there's some real, like actually just getting these metrics is really tough. It feels easy to just add another metric to the list, but like there's actually going to be a real cost to like getting that metric, right? Because like oftentimes it's hard to get. There's a lot of effort that goes into cleaning the data. And then even just defining how to measure the metric in reality becomes really challenging. Like the metric just sounds very straightforward. And it is if you ask a question about it, but when you actually try to instrument it, there's a lot of nuance there that I'm sure we'll kind of get into. And then the last part is, um, I think another thing was like, just too much data can be overwhelming. There's this concept of like, well, more is better. And the more data we have, the more insights we'll be able to extract and the more causation we'll be able to see between metrics. And I think what often happens is it's just this wall of data and people's eyes sort of gloss over and it doesn't become as actionable. So I think what we wanted to do going in was really kind of have a plan around like a strategy around them. What are the metrics that we really care about? What do we already know about the company and the developers? 
that we want to dig into more? And what's kind of our action plan going to be around these so that we can drive change versus just maybe create something that's interesting, but doesn't actually lead to sort of any impact? And what prompted this journey, so to speak? You obviously had developer metrics already. What is it that prompted you to to look for something better? Was it the CTO of your company saying, hey, guys, what are our metrics? And you're like, uh, you know, <laughs> we have a bunch. Or was it something more internal within your developer productivity organization saying, hey, we need a standard sort of North Star here? Yeah, it came from both directions, really. So I think we saw an opportunity within developer insights and developer platform to get better signal around sort of quantitative signal around the developer experience. At the same time, leadership also was interested in getting better insights of the developer experience. And so it was a very happy combination. And you mentioned too, which is one of the challenges is like getting executive buy-in and leadership. And so we did do a lot of socialization, like when we initially pitched our metrics, because some people had metric fatigue, right, around past efforts. And they're like, well, why will this be any different? It'll just be the same thing all over again. And so there were a lot of conversations to sort of get people excited about it again. But in general, there was sort of executive sponsorship a few people had used Door previously and had success with it. So that really helped align the org, I think, top to bottom. And so we weren't stuck with this position of us trying to constantly sell it to people who weren't sort of inclined to be interested. I remember from your talk, you had this great slide that depicted how this goes, right? You had all these different metrics, lines of code, PR frequency, people chiming in, like, I saw this, let's do this metric. So did that happen again a little bit as you were trying to evangelize or recommend Door metrics? Did you kind of go down that rabbit hole again? That, I think, is one of the big benefits of door metrics is that it sort of addresses that and stops it before it begins and saying that, you know, again, like I'm a product manager, like just treat metrics like a product. Like, let's start with an MVP. Like, let's not try to get, let's not boil the ocean. Let's not try to get every metric we think is going to be interesting. And what door metrics is, is besides being research-based and benchmarked across the industry and all these other benefits is that it's a fairly straightforward, four key metrics, pretty understandable, pretty comprehensive And it was kind of a way to head off a lot of those conversations before they start and just say like, look, let's get these in place. And then inevitably, people are like, well, yeah, those are great. But and we'll talk about challenges with door metrics, but like, they're hard to take action against because they do kind of roll up so much data underneath. So people are like, well, how do we how do we improve them? What are the key drivers? And then you can kind of investigate. But I think for us, step one was like, well, let's just start there with the industry standard research data, and then build from that foundation. And I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about this evangelism, the the, the salesmanship around uh, getting buy-in for something like Dormetrics. Can you recollect a particular conversation or particular stakeholders within the organization where you felt like you did a good job? And like, what can listeners take away or learn from your experience there? Don't take for granted that it's going to be this like slam dunk across the org. And then, and don't go and like build all this dashboard and then present the final product. You know, that's the other thing is like, oh, I'm going to go in a cave and I'm going to build this thing. And it's going to be so amazing when we're done that everyone's going to immediately fall in love with it and it's going to sell itself. Right. Like that's not usually a good strategy. And so we engage with people pretty early on and we sort of met with them. And then that's where a lot of these concerns came up of like, well, why is this going to be different? And oh, actually, we, we tried this already. Here are some challenges here. And so we just really listened to people and really invested the time to sort of address their questions. And again, as you go through there too, you also will, you'll find people who are sympathetic or sort of agreed with the direction as well that can have champion it to others. So it's kind of the same way you sell anything really in a healthy way. Like it's, I use the word sell, but it's like, we're all on the same team, right? Like I'm not selling anything that, that hopefully they don't agree with. It's 
more a question of the nuance of how to do it exactly. And it's now the right time and things like that. And you shared the rationale for you know, why door metrics are a great place to start and why it helped you kind of preempt the usual rabbit hole that folks tend to, to go down when you start talking about metrics. But I would like to know sort of behind the scenes, was there a plan B? Like, was there a close second? And like, what was the alternative? Uh, were there Was there a competing proposal internally or competing ideas around what could work? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's always just, you know, business as usual. So there's just sort of, again, like we do measure lots of different metrics, mostly at kind of the team level. So like the team that owns CI is measuring CI metrics, you know, vice versa, things like that. In absence of a centralized dashboard, teams will often go off on their own and, and figure out how to measure this. And then you have a lot of fragmentation. So people are like, oh, I measure it PRs per dev. I measure it as, you know, there are lots of different angles on it. And so you see a lot of people just kind of do it themselves. So I think that was sort of the alternative. And then what Dorometrics gave was a little more like rigor, a little more discipline around it. So that kind of ties into the question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, really around what was it that you were posing? Was it getting buy-in to invest time and money into obtaining the door metrics? Was that it? Or was it more the idea that Airbnb as an organization should lean in and pay attention to these metrics? Was it more the ideology or just the budget and approval to invest in standing these up? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of both. If we get the buy-in that we want to leverage these metrics in how we communicate to developers and how we talk about the success of our team, that was the driving factor, right? And then, of course, to deliver that value, we have to back into like the investment to actually make it happen. So we didn't just go and ask for headcount. We went and sort of said, hey, we should be actually using these and then to justify the expense kind of that way. That was more kind of the approach. But there was, I mean, there was a non-trivial amount of work to actually like build this up. And so it was less around like spinning up a new team and more just that this is worth prioritizing within like developer platform. Let's talk about the work and effort that goes in there spinning these metrics up uh, because so many people say, oh, yeah, we track the door metrics and there's far less talked about in terms of how the sausage is actually made. And I know I shared the story of how we did this at GitHub, which was quite the undertaking. And I know it's taking quite an effort at Airbnb as well. So I'm not sure the best place to start, but maybe just take us through. So, you know, you got the green light, you got the approval. What happened next? I mean, how did you plan the engineering effort, the actual initiative around delivering these metrics to the organization? Yeah, so we got together. It was me and a couple engineers, and we have a couple contractors for data scientists, research, things like that. And we just sort of said, okay, like, here's what it says on the tin. There's lead time to change. This is how it's defined. Like, can we get this information? And then we just sort of played it out. You know, we just sort of like, okay, let's do a POC. Let's try to wire it up. We were fortunate at Airbnb in that we have a fairly paved path developer workflow between sort of GitHub, we use BuildKite for CI and Spinnaker for deployments. So we didn't have too fragmented of an ecosystem where we're trying to like pull deployment information from like 20 different tools or anything like that. So that alone was really key for making this more feasible. And so, yeah, it was like, you know, pretty straightforward. Again, we had for years, we streamed this data into like a central database as well. So we're capturing all the GitHub events, we're capturing all the Spinnaker events. And again, that's what we've been building, like setting KRs against and setting metrics against. So we had a lot of the data already available, but it was quite a process to get in to set the door metrics up. Because like, I think even step one is, again, we talked about the nuance around what this thing actually is, right? So like lead time, where do you start it? Do you start it like from PR merge, PR create? When they open a Jira ticket, 
when is the deployment finished? Is it, do, do you count feature flags? Is it like when it's fully rolled out? Or like, was it when the 1% traffic is over? You know, so that was a lot of the conversation was like, just defining our opinion of actually how it should be measured. So we, we first started, we said like, look, this is going to be, we want it to be quantitative. We don't want it to be qualitative. And we're going to find it as like when the PR is created to when the deployment is successfully completed in Spinnaker. And we're not going to worry about like feature flags or things like that. And we're not going to try to go back to when the story is, you know, the ticket is opened. So that was kind of our, those were our boundaries that we decided on. Yeah, I was going to ask about lead time because uh, as we've joked about, there's there's a lot of questions that can come up in the process of figuring that out. I want to ask you about some of the the calculations for for the other metrics as well. And, and first, I want to ask you, was the scope of this all four metrics or just some of them? Because I know a lot of organizations you know, kind of do lead time, deployment frequency, and then some of the other ones get tricky. Did you guys go for all four or just a few? Yeah, so we went in phases. So for the initial POC, we experimented and wanted to do all four. We can get into that, but like, yeah, that we found that challenging as well. Sort of the the change failure rate and mean time to resolve metrics were harder to have high confidence in. And so after the POC, in order of operationalizing it, we can talk about how we did that. But we really did focus then on kind of lead time and deployment frequency for a couple of reasons. But we had to pivot along the way with how we even calculated lead time because that was. That was something that, you know, our first attempt didn't work out sort of perfectly. And so the other ones we had as well, but we didn't really go as far in terms of operationalizing them, I would say. Makes sense. So before we move on to kind of the POC, the feedback you got, things like that, I I do want to ask you, how did you calculate deployment frequency? Like, what was it? Because that, again, is something I've seen organizations, it's just counting the number of deployments, or do you, are you calculating number per day or week? And then is it, global or is it by team? What was your number? Again, Spinnaker helped a lot with this. So we have like a default release pipeline and, and things that are labeled deploying to prod. So essentially, yeah, we, we calculated the total number of deployments to prod across the org. And we're like, oh, we're done. And we're like, oh, we actually, no, we look at the data. Oh, no, we're not done. Yeah, because there's like a whole a lot of ro- robot accounts, there's a whole like bunch of mislabeled pipelines, things like that. So we ended up, we cleaned the data. So we went through and like, we removed kind of robot accounts and things like that. And then, yeah, we had like debates around like, well, like is an automated biweekly deployment count or does it not count? You know, like, should that count? So we ended up counting anything that was, yeah, that was like a service deployment with a user facing change. So anything that was like a prod deployment that wasn't, we also use Spinnaker pipelines for things like writing smoke tests or health checks and things like that. So we filtered all those out and that left us with what we we're pretty confident around was sort of our like representative deployments. And then because we have service owner mapping, we can map that to specific teams and things like that. Well, that makes sense. And before we go further, share with listeners the tech stack for this. How did you actually construct the data, the dashboards, do the calculations, present the data? Yeah, so a lot of it was already in place. So again, we all the tooling in terms of the developer workflow was there. And then say we stream all the events to a database, and then we use um, Superset internally for our metrics dashboard. And we looked at, we have other dashboards as well, but that was sort of the, there's a reporting data, that one, that's sort of the standard inside the company that we use. How did that work for you all? Like, Did you feel like there were some hard limitations or, or things you had to figure out there? Or yeah, like tell us about the tech stack. Yeah, so a lot of it was already in place. So we didn't have many, you didn't have to make any major overhauls to our tooling. You know, again, we had Spinnaker, self-hosted Spinnaker internally. And then that all gets all the events and data gets streamed to a database. And then we have like an internal metrics dashboard, a uh, third-party vendor that we use that uh, for displaying and reporting the data. 
I want to ask you now about the POC that you talked about. How did you design this POC? What was kind of the, the rollout process and, and what did you learn? Yeah. So we mocked up what we thought it should look like. We did some low fidelity wireframes of like, okay, here's the data. Here's how it's going to work. We looked at other examples across the industry of other people who had built sort of Dora metrics batch dashboards and what those look like. And then, you know, we started wiring it up and then we dealt with the idiosyncrasies of our tool to sort of adjust to that and what's possible and what's not possible. Yeah. And then got to kind of a first concept. And then we started just sort of spot checking the data is like, okay, here it is. Does this look right? And so digging into the data and seeing if, if everything was kind of playing out the way we thought it should. And what were some of the things you found? Yeah. So we found something seemed off pretty early on. So the data wasn't, it wasn't unreasonable, I guess. Like the metrics were, it seemed like, okay, this could be it, but it's hard to know. Like if it's the first time you're doing it, it's hard to know if this is actually correct or not, versus if you've been doing it for a while and you have trends, you can sort of track that. So what ended up happening is that our initial approach was like, we will just follow a single change all the way through the pipeline. So we'll take a PR when that PR is created take it through merge to main, take it through release. And then when that change is, at, uh, is deployed to users, that'll be done. And so for every PR, we could see the lead time. And then we would aggregate that all together to get kind of our Oregon team level values, uh, like P15, P90 values. But what we found is that that didn't really work because we have like a multi-mono repo structure. So we have repos for the major frameworks. So it went for web, backend, data, native, iOS and Android share one. And what happens is that it's not as straightforward as that, right? Like a single PR doesn't just get released once. A single PR may touch multiple services. So it creates multiple snapshots in Spinnaker and then the service owners release those separately. So a single PR may, may get released multiple times. And then likewise, the inverse of that as well is you may have multiple PRs like get rolled up into single snapshots and not all snapshots get released. So as we dug into it, it was like, oh, this is actually really challenging to just sort of draw a straight line for these changes. So we had to kind of step back and reassess. I mean, what you're describing is a problem. I mean, I've ran into it personally. I've written about it. We've heard of others. So how did you solve that? Yeah. So we ended up decoupling the PR and the release sides, essentially. So we gave up on the idea that we could trace a single PR the way through. And so essentially, we looked at it as kind of PR lead time and release lead time, and then combine those together to kind of get a total lead time, which again, gives you the signal you want, which is essentially what is like kind of the effective lead time for your teams. And uh, yeah, so PR was was pretty straightforward. So PR create to successful merge to mainline was was very straightforward. And then we were able to decompose that into sort of the major steps of like time to first review, time in code review. And then what we looked at too, which is interesting, was like once something was, how long did it take from when a, a code was finally approved to when it was actually merged into main? And then we looked at the other side of the equation. So from when the snapshot was created, which happens right when a merge occurs, how long from when that snapshot was created to when it was released. And then we looked at like how long did the snapshot sit around before the release started and then how long did the actual deploy take. So essentially, we were able to kind of stitch together all the different phases of the lead time to kind of get the number. And that worked really well for us. Like that, we spot checked that and that checked all the boxes. That's where we landed. Yeah. So you decompose the problem. And, and so just to clarify, you, you do still report like a total lead time. That's the sum of all of the sub steps. Yeah. So we measure total lead time. And then we yeah we have it broken down into sort of the PR lead time and then deploy lead time. And this question is prompted by a talk I think we both heard at DPE Summit from Grant at LinkedIn. One of the things that struck me was 
how intentional they were about you know, whether they were looking at medians, means, P50. P, he had some statistical stuff that I never even heard of, which I want to ask him more about. But w- what are sort of the cuts of the numbers that you primarily focus on? We look at P50 and P90, and that's what we kind of report on. And then we have P99, and we have other that we sometimes will dig into to kind of understand if those are the right two to report. But we've essentially standardized on P50 and P90, and we tend to use those across almost all the metrics that we report just because it's sort of people can understand it and it captures again the signal from our point of view. And that's where we see a lot of the changes. It's like a lot of the metrics will have 50% is like, that's the main experience. And then you have these sort of outlier long tail, like failure mode type metrics, like code review time, right? It's like time to first code review, P50 is super short and the P90 is super long because it either like, it either happens right away or it just sits around for a while. Like if it's some cross team review. So that's sort of, we tend to find value there. Another common challenge I wanted to ask you, kind of dealing with like time zone stuff, like excluding weekends, is, is that something you guys have done or are looking at? Yeah, good question. Airbnb has a like a holiday break as well. So we have like what's called bailo break at the end of the year. And so, yeah, the first thing teams would say when we shared it with them is like, I was on holiday or we have weekends or, you know, it affected my numbers. And we looked into it in an ideal world, right? We would be able to sort of isolate that out. But in practice, I, we, it was too complicated. It was like, you solve one problem and two more pop up, right? You know, it was like, weekends aren't the same everywhere. PTO isn't the same everywhere. And so essentially, we just sort of, we reported it as is. And we just said, like, just take that into consideration when you look at the numbers. And so with lead time, again, we would both show, just use lead time as an example, like, we would show like a rolling 90-day average. And then we would also show like daily and weekly changes. So you could see spikes and say like, okay, is this trend significant or is this like a a sort of a weak outlier we would do a little bit of cleaning at the beginning of the year so instead of doing like p90 which got like thanksgiving and uh, christmas holiday break we would shorten that but in general we didn't go too far down the rabbit hole trying to account for all that i think that's like a really good solution because i remember talking to one leader about this problem when they said you know it doesn't really matter if the number is hyper perfectly precise, like what matters is like how that number is changing within your organization. So as long as there's consistency there and folks are taking into consideration, at least the the absolutes don't exclude non-business hours. I, I don't know if that really is a problem. It sounds like you kind of landed a similar conclusion. Yeah. The example I used to give is like, if you're judging a race or something, you have a stopwatch that's like five seconds off, does it matter? Like you still know who won the race. You still know, like if you use that same stopwatch again, you know, if people got faster or slower. And so you still have really good signal. Like, was it the absolute truth of the universe? Maybe not. But what we've had is like, the more we tried to take that into account and like intervene in the numbers, the more convoluted and confusing it got. And the more explanation you would need about it, and the more edge cases you would surface. So like, keeping it simple and understandable was actually more beneficial than trying to like over-engineer it. That reminds me, uh, your stopwatch example reminds me, I've, I've purchased three different pressure gauges for my car. <laughs> and I've learned that, including not including the, the gauge that's built into the car, like the sensor, and yeah. none of them give you the same reading. And it, it drives me absolutely crazy. So yeah, I've, I've applied the same principle to my tire pressure. I want to ask you about, so you got these metrics together. What was the process of operationalizing them? What was the process of rolling these out? communicating about these of course with any metric there's always this concern people are going to game these or 
people are going to be graded by these. So in your case, what was the process for kind of bring the metrics to life within the organization? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing I like about door metrics is like, please game them. Like, yeah, go ahead, game them. Right. Deploy more frequently with fewer issues. Yeah, like, go ahead. As metrics go, they're harder to game the most because they balance each other out, which is another benefit of them. But yeah, we, so we were lucky in that. And I think this was like a key lesson again with developer metrics is like, don't try to get the data and then figure out what to do with it. It's like, we already knew going in, we have this larger org-wide effort called Commitment to Craft, which is an Airbnb like CTO-led initiative with goals around specific, not just for developer activity, but just in general around the state of development at Airbnb and sort of goals that we want all teams to help achieve and hit. And so we were able to kind of include or go to market, if you will, like starting again with lead time and deployment frequency through this commitment to craft effort. So once we had like a baseline that we really felt confident in, we then included it as part of that. And we're able to go against that and say like, hey, here's the number. Here's where we think it should be or want it to be. And here's like based on our analysis, the way to get there. So that was our kind of um, that was our vehicle to sort of enact change across the organization. And what did you see as the actualization of that? I mean, were there teams that were part of commitment to craft that heard about it there? And then they started going to your dashboard, filtering it down to just their team and and talking about these metrics? What have you observed happening? Yeah, no, exactly that. So I mean, all teams are sort of uh, accountable for these CDC goals. And we do monthly reviews. So we do monthly progress updates where we talk about the top level number as well as breakdowns by team. And yeah, teams are accountable for hitting those goals. And so I think the other thing we did was we kind of tried to help them in terms of understanding how to make that number better. And what we found, I mean, one of our big takeaways with all this was that by far the largest portion of our driving our lead time was the lag time to deploy, which is like how long from when a change is successfully merged before the deploy is kicked off. And so again, what we found is that a large number of teams are doing continuous delivery. And so they're being deployed every an ongoing basis or every day or two. But there was a large number of mostly older services that are just kind of in maintenance mode that are deployed manually or sort of kicked off manually, at least. And they're getting deployed a lot less frequently. And so they would kind of have changes sitting around that wouldn't get released. And so that was kind of, we were able to go to teams and say, hey, like, here's the lead time number that every team should be hitting. And by the way, the way to do this is just to deploy more frequently these like services that sit around. And so, yeah, we saw a lot of engagement from product teams understanding like, hey, how do we get our number better? And that's where we got those questions of like, hey, can we exclude this or exclude that? Or, you know, we had one team that was like, oh, this service, like, can we just exclude this service from the data? Because we don't really work on it that much anymore. We're like, well, no, that's the whole point of the data is like, either like decommission it or adopt it. I want to ask you, I mean, you talked about how you do these reviews of the data and you provide the data, of course, by team. We talked a little bit about the tech stack, like how this is built, but how do you get the team data? Uh, Where's that coming from and how accurate is it? How is that kept up to date? I imagine teams come into the dashboard and say, hey, like, this isn't actually what our team does or is made out. Like, how did you tackle that problem? Yeah. So, I mean, in the end, the confidence in the data was, is pretty high. So based on the sort of updated approach we did, and then again, because we have like service owner mapping for who, which teams on which services and things like that, we had a pretty good idea. We we're able to filter pretty cleanly again, based on how our data is structured by at different org levels. So, you know, we would look at kind of the high level orgs and their kind of lead time based on the services they own. So teams largely felt that that was accurate and like correctly representing their progress. I think we did have questions around 
philosophical questions of like, well, is that the right deployment cadence for us? Or should we be deploying that frequently? And so it was actually great because it spurred a lot of conversations around like, hey, what is the right frequency or what is the right number to hit here in these different use cases? I want to wrap up today's conversation with some of the higher level takeaways, recommendations for listeners. There were a bunch from your talks that I want to kind of pull from. One of the tips, recommendations you shared was the importance of using door metrics, really any metric alongside other signals. So share more what you mean by that and and how you accomplish that at Airbnb. Yeah. So again, door metrics have been really made a big difference in terms of, again, answering kind of the top level productivity, but there's some known shortcomings around them, right? They're not particularly actionable directly. Like if you want to improve a number, there's so many inputs to it, it's hard to know. They're not great for measuring like the impact of specific projects, right? Because the first question people ask is like, oh, that one project that we just spent a lot of resources on, like how much did it improve X, right? And typically it's very hard to draw that because there, well, there are lots of other things changing at the same time and et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to do that. And it's overly focused on the DevOps pipeline, right? Like it's, it's very focused on the tooling. And so... To address that, we wanted to sort of, again, step back and use it as one part of a larger puzzle where we look at things like, again, the developer survey feedback, right? Not just the CSAT scores, but like free responses. Like, what are people telling us is bad or, or needs improving or not bad? Like, just needs to be better. And then likewise, like, what are the key drivers that are driving these high-level metrics that we can focus more directly on, whether it's like CI flakiness or build times or things like that? And then again, like, beyond just the tooling, the work environment itself, right? So it's like, how much focus time are developers getting? Like, how streamlined is their their roadmap process? You know, things like that. How much tech debt is there? How good is the documentation? So doormat just won't tell you a lot of that, right? But theoretically, they all are related to each other. And that, you know, hopefully as you move one and move the other, it all works together. And, and that's what we've seen as well. Like, we did an effort to improve CI flakiness. And we heard about in the survey... We were seeing it show up in lead time. We drove this effort to improve it. And then sure enough, six months later, like it showed up in the survey data as being better. It showed up in the door metrics as being better. And so that's really like the win there is that your confidence level is higher because you're seeing the same thing in multiple places. That makes sense. I want to double click on one thing you talked about, the challenge of measuring specific initiatives and projects. This is something I see all the time folks struggling with and hey, like, the oh, wait, like we can't. The dorm metrics didn't change because 100 other things changed is a common problem. I imagine you don't have the magic solution for this. I think everyone's trying to figure it out. But like, what do you guys use for measuring specific projects? Is it just more granular quant metrics or CSAT scores? Like, what do you guys lean into? Yeah, so we use OKRs at Airbnb. And I think, yeah, we tend to then think of these things as either like leading indicators or lagging indicators. So things like survey data and door metrics tend to be lagging indicators. They tend to take longer to show up and be less concrete, I guess. So we tend not to use those for KRs because they're sort of less... We want metrics that teams feel like they can directly influence. And then based on what we know, we trust that these will ladder up into sort of the outcomes that we desire. So we set KRs around things like, again, CI flakiness or build times or code review wait times and things like that that are more measurable. And then the belief and the hope is that these will emerge over time and show up in things like the developer survey and door metrics. It's not as immediate usually as people hope and they are very noisy signals, but I think they're still valuable. Don't use them that way. You know what I mean? Don't think of them as as solutions to that problem. 
think of them as compliments to sort of let you know at a high level, like, are things going in the right direction? And where are the bottlenecks? Like, where do we need to prioritize? I always share similar advice, like the top level survey metrics and, and quant metrics are influenced by so many things. And there's a delay. We talk about even if you make an improvement, there's a lag time in that improvement being delivered to internal customers, affecting people's perceptions and experiences day to day. Maybe folks actually have to adopt the thing before you see the impact and the numbers. So yeah, the more you can focus on the granular things you can directly control, the better off you'll be and hopefully you know have something you can show for your efforts. Christopher, this has been an awesome overview of how you're tackling the elusive problem of measuring developer productivity at Airbnb, your journey of door metrics, lots of useful insights for listeners. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Great. Yeah, thanks. That'll be my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, you can find detailed show notes and other content at our website, getdx.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider rating our show since this helps more listeners discover our podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode.